Good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, thank you very much for uh, getting up so early for my paper. Several of the most important manuscripts uh, that contain medieval Irish narrative literature make occasional reference to a book which they call Kindramoshnechti, or Levadramoshnechti, the Book of Drumshnechti, or sometimes just short, the Keen. Since it is cited, for instance, in the oldest extant manuscript with narrative literature in the, in the Royal Irish Academy's Levanahidra from around 1100, it follows that the Keen must be older. Whatever is the precise date of the Keen, it is undeniable that it can be called an ancient manuscript compared to all those that we possess today. It is equally obvious that none of our uh, known extant manuscripts can be the Keen, but that it was lost at some point during the past thousand years. Despite the loss of the physical object, we are nevertheless confident in reconstructing most of its contents, and it is likely that most of it survives in one way or the other. Since some very notable pieces of medieval Irish literature must have been part of Kindramoshnechte, it attracted the early attention of scholars of uh, medieval Ireland. The first to put the study of its remains and fragments on a systematic and solid scholarly footing was Rudolf Turneisen in a seminal to Irish Handschriften und Literaturdenkmail in 1912. Thurneisen's radical step forward, compared with his predecessors, was to not only include those texts in the list for which the extant manuscripts provide direct evidence, but to go beyond this and to add text to the table of contents of Kindermischnechte, for which the uh, proof is only indirect and by association. Our manuscript, the 16th century 23 and 10, uh, played a crucial role in this. Thurneisen noted striking similarities between narrative texts in 23 and 10 and in the British Library manuscript Agen 88. Agen 88 is mainly a legal manuscript, but a block of 15 non-legal texts of mostly narrative sagas and fanciful poetry has been inserted there. There is an explicit reference saying that these texts had been excerpted from Kien Dramaschnechte. Tornheisen observed that 10 texts of this group have a very close correspondence to our uh, Royal Irish uh, Academy manuscript 23 and 10. In other manuscripts too, some of these tales occur in groups. Uh, uh, and cumulatively, this reinforces the impression that it must have uh, existed as a unity in an even earlier source. Despite superficial differences between the two groups in 23 and 10 and Edgerton 88, the order of the text is not the same, and the orthography uh, diverges considerably. When we go beneath the surface, the texts are remarkably close uh, uh, in their wording. If purged of their late veneer, the linguistic and stylistic appearance is of great age, reflecting a state of the language uh, at times morphologically or phonologically more conservative than that of the old Irish glosses. By way of logical reasoning, Tuanisen was able to extend the list of texts to 16 beyond the 10 that overlap in Agenda 88 and 23 and 10. Regarding a handful of other texts here in the box, among them some that are found in 23 and 10, Tuneisen remained skeptical, especially uh, as regards Audacht Morin and the quarrel between Finn and Oshin. After Tuneisen's initial two lists, there's only been very little fluctuation in the assumed contents of Kindramoshnechte. Other likely candidates, similar in language and type, were added subsequently to this core from other manuscripts by Kuno Meyer and Vernon Hull. In summary, the general, perhaps somewhat uneasy, consensus would regard these texts that you can see here, uh, as the core, or if I may say, a canonical list of Kindramoshnechte texts, while the jury is still out uh, for a few texts more. These texts 
are usually thought to have been composed around the year 700. Some of them at the end of the 7th century, some of at the beginning of the 8th. There's one main block in 23 and 10, going from page 57 to the beginning of 74, which consists ex exclusively of Kindermerschnechte material, with the sole exception of a small gap filler in, on page 67. Two more texts with probable or possible keen association occur a few pages earlier, namely Audacht Morin and the quarrel between Finn and Oshin. The roughly three pages between the two blocks have been filled with a variety of short, old and middle Irish pieces, and uh, we actually saw one yesterday in uh, uh, Liam Brannach's uh, paper, uh, the text about the uh, horse judgment. There is no immediately apparent rationale behind the choice of text in 23 and 10. Almost all are written in the hand of A, the main scribe of the manuscript, with the exception of several lines in pages uh, 57 and 62, uh, which are in the hand of Torna or Milchonore. Against the backdrop of all this enthusiasm, we should not, not lose sight of the fact that 23 and 10 makes no direct reference to Kindra Moschnechte. It is therefore uh, one of those manuscripts uh, which are witness to the Kind by association. In the time uh, since Tuanaisen, the question of Kindermeschnechte has largely been discussed in the context of studies of individual tales. The bibliography on your handouts contains a representative collection of literature. But I have to mention uh, two studies of different character uh, that, uh, that look at the lost manuscript from the broader perspective of a collection of tales, not just individual tales. One is uh, Seamus Magmahuna's edition of Imraf Bran, The Voyage of Bran from 1985. In a long appendix to that edition, a lot of useful information on Kindermaschnechte texts and their manuscript relationships is brought together, even though some of the conclusions that McMahonor draws from the study have not found wide acceptance. John Carey's 1996 article on the interrelationship of some Kindermaschnechte texts is a very insightful study that brought to light many thematic threads that connect the tales on a deep or on the surface level. In particular, Carey observed idiosyncrasies uh, in language usage that allowed him, in conjunction with a close analysis of the motival interest and the geographical outlook of the tales, as well as with very close phrasal correspondences between various tales, to recognize groups and thematic clusterings among the texts. There are many questions that still await to be answered about the tale's place and times of composition, about Kindermaschnecht as a body of texts, and about the history of its transmission. And many more questions remain even unasked as of yet. In particular, it needs to be stressed uh, that the dates of composition of the tales are one matter, and the date of Kindermaschnechte is an entirely different issue. While for most texts, the case for a date of composition in the early 8th or even late 7th century can be made fairly securely, it does not follow that the physical object called Kindermaschnechte was produced at the same time, although this is commonly and silently understood. The compilation of all these texts into one manuscript may have happened at a considerably later time. Language uh, was an important factor for Carey uh, to distinguish between three more or less clearly defined groups within the corpus, in addition to arguments that build strongly on motives and themes. A lot of my own talk today builds directly on Carey's work, but I will restrict myself exclusively to questions of the language. I will start with Carey's mixed uh, group, which, with a catchier name, we might also call Mongan group. It centers around the four Mongan tales and Imraf Bran. The Mongan tales have been dated to roughly the 8th century. This group is characterized by two linguistic peculiarities. The first one is the use of the very rare uh, 
form sa as the third singular masculine nota augens in place of regular old age sov. Sa occurs in four or five instances in the Mongang group. Compared con Kulin adds an instance of the palatalized version uh, of variant She. Outside Kindermeschnechte, Sa is only found as an isolated variant in the midst of a sea of, of the ubiquitous Sov. So far, I've been able to identify 10 examples from a wide stretch over the 8th to the 10th centuries. Very recently, Fang Chiu has drawn my attention to an example in the Annals of Ulster for the year 942. In view of this distribution, it would be wrong to speak of Sa as an archaic variant of the Nota Augens. It is rather a severely restricted variant. Maybe its occurrence is rather governed by stylistic or regional factors, although it would be rash to draw any conclusions at the moment. Kerry stresses that it is not the use of Sa as such, but rather the particularly high ratio of Sa versus Sov in the Mongan group that sets it apart from all the other texts that have Sa. So, what about 23 and 10? Scribe A manifestly has a penchant for archaisms, insofar as he recognizes them, and for archaization. The latter finds its expression, for instance, in verbal forms such as, uh, cited there at the top, such as tolither, he came, with a fine lee that is grammatically impossible in compound verbs. Judging by the fact that these forms are exclusive to 23 and 10, as far as I can tell, it is difficult not to conclude that it was A himself who came up with these forms. In the light of this, it is noteworthy that in four instances, sa has been replaced by more standard forms in 23 and 10. In three instances, by young or by usual allomorphs uh, of sov, and once by the modern Irish particle san. Only in the problematic and dubious example in Imra of Brand 62 does the manuscript have donarfasa, where the scribe may actually have understood sa as the third plural preterite passive ending. In Comparat uh, 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 in uh, 5, the manuscript retains she, but there is a faint fada visible over the second e, which indicates that the scribe misunderstood she as the modern Irish pronoun she. It seems that due to its overall rareness, a, who was not familiar and not comfortable with sa, apparently, did not recognize it for what it was, and accordingly he felt free to improve on the text by correcting a putative error. This speaks not of a scribe who is faithful to his exemplar, but of someone who feels confident to interfere with the text if he sees fit. The second notable feature of language usage in the Mongan group is the presence of what seems to be a separate verb, fill, there is, that fulfills functions of the root ta of the substantive verb. Magmahuna cited this as chief evidence for his proposed 10th century date of Kindermerschnechte, but he's he was not, or he's not con entirely consistent in his treatment of Phil. On the one hand, he mentions uh, it, or he mentions its use of, uh, he mentions the use of Phil for there is in archaic texts, implying that it is an archaic form. While elsewhere, he insists that Phil is actually a Middle Irish feature. A problem lies in the fact that he lumps together two usages that are really two separate issues, although they look very similar. One is the use of independent, non-relative fill as a verb of existential predication in place of ata, there is, in main clauses. And the other one is the use of dependent fill as a verb for locational predication in prepositional relative constructions in place of the more common ta. Let's look at the former first. Independent fill, there is, is in fact common to all Kindermaschnechte texts, not only to those of the Mongan group. I would maintain 
that this usage is firmly and securely Old Irish, for which it is easy to adduce a large number of examples. McMahoma himself cites an example from the undoubtedly Old Irish Feliedra uh, Oingesa, namely from the Prologue 164, but apart from uh, that one passage, it is also found in the quatrain for uh, March the 3rd. It also famously occurs with a third plural suffix pronoun in the Cambrai homily, philos, there are. And there are a number of possible instances in Würzburg glosses, which, however, are rather ambiguous. Independent fill is particularly common in catalogues that enumerate a range of items in order to evoke them before the inner eyes of the audience. In this function, it is found in two Kindermoschnechte texts, in Magalov Cholom Chilergus in the Oglich and in the poem Filan Grian Glinei. This latter is another text whose early Old Irish character is beyond doubt, as I will argue in a paper at the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies in two months' time. The catalogue style culminates in the poem, and this is not a Kindermoschnechte text, it's outside Kindermoschnechte, in the poem Awakukan Surthentir. Sentence initial fill occurs no less than 22 times in 19 stanzas. Of these 22 instances, 19 consist of the phrase fill and. The original, but in Old Irish synchronically obscured meaning of the form fill is the second singular you see, or the third singular impersonal one sees. This is broadly comparable to French voici, voila, a combination of the imperative voici plus a local adverb see here and la there. Given its etymology in an interjection-like verbal form that seeks the addressee's visual attention, it is unsurprising to find it very commonly together with the local adverb and in Old Irish, i.e. in the phrase fill and, there is. But historically more correctly probably meaning deusi. It would be wrong to call the use of fill as an independent existential verb either an archaism or a sign of innovation. Rather, it is a stylistically marked and consequently comparatively rare construction. Its occurrence in the subgroup of Kindermoschnechte texts is not significant for their chronology, but, as John Kerry rightly pointed out, for tying some of the texts, namely Imr of Bran, the Mongan Tales, and perhaps Philangrian Glinei, stylistically closely together, perhaps even pointing to single authorship. A different matter is the use of dependent fill for ta in prepositional relative constructions. Two examples each of, these, of this are found in Imr of Bran and in the Mongan Tales. Furthermore, there is one example in Imagald of Durath uh, Brand. This construct, construction seems to be genuinely rare or even absent from Old Irish, while it becomes more common in Middle Irish. Still, I would not read too much significance into that. Note that Phil does in fact occur regularly in Old Irish prepositional relatives anyway, namely in negative constructions, such as forna Phil, on which there is not in the Milan glosses. The transference of the dependent form fill from dependent negative and interrogative contexts, where it is the grammatical rule in Old Irish, to positive dependent prepositional relative constructions, where it does not belong originally, is in my opinion a trivial extension of the rule from a subset of dependent constructions to all dependent constructions. John Kerry observed that the unifying theme of the Midland group is an interesting kingship and that it features, that it features characters that are associated with Tara. Linguistically, uh, sorry, that, I should have shown that. That's the uh, extension of the rule. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, linguistically, these texts uh, show one striking feature. For the archetypes of all of them, 
The third singular feminine infix pronoun has been reconstructed in the form den, with a vowel e or e, uh, and with nasalizing effect, as opposed to standard old Irish da, with no discernible mutational effect. This is a truly archaic trait by any standards, and accordingly these texts have been dated to the late 7th or early 8th century. But it is worthwhile to subject the matter to a closer scrutiny. In Balechonchetchatich, both manuscripts attest to the e or e vocalism, although it is better preserved in 23 and 10. In Echtrich Honle, 23 and 10 is one of four manuscripts preserving the e. Uh, uh, but in Audacht Morin, 23 and 10 is the sole witness for e, while all other manuscripts have a. Now, here's the conundrum. If the archaic vocalism of pretonic short e was retained in the feminine infix pronoun in our manuscript, wouldn't we, by the same token, expect the same for archaic e in many more pretonic morphemes, like uh, infix pronouns, uh, possessive pronouns, or prepositions, unstressed for prepositions? But there are no such examples in this group of texts, not in 23 and 10, nor in any of the other manuscripts. The only exception of pretonic e is pre uh, that is preserved is in echtrechonle, and only in the preposition ken without and in gend from the. What these forms share with the feminine infix pronoun is that the e stands before a nasal. But so does the masculine infix pronoun in, and you see that at the bottom of the, of the, of, of the screen, in tan alrivat and aranjevat, which also goes back to te nalrivat and adenjevat, the front color of which has not been preserved. So why are they treated differently? The answer to this must be that den, ken, and dend have one other feature in common. All three continue diachronically a lowered I. This could be the decisive factor that allows us to formulate the hypothesis that in its phonetics, pretonic E from original E was sufficiently different from original E uh, so in order to be treated differently before a nasal and to retain its quality longer in pretonic position than original E. This ties nicely with the observation that in general, Old Irish vowels show special behavior before nasals. So it seems that den is a genuine archaism in these tales, which in the case of Audacht Morin is preserved exclusively in 23 and 10. I now want to turn to issues that only have to do with tales contained in 23 and 10. The first item is a general observation concerning the block of keen texts without guarantee that this observation leads anywhere. When I was preparing my talk, I noticed that the orthography varies quite extensively and unpredictably between the texts. So I decided to approach this matter in a structured and quantified manner. I restricted myself uh, to the relatively easily quantifiable variation in the spelling of the lenited voice stops, BDG or rather VDR, and the frequencies in which they occur in Old Irish spelling, that is, without formal marking of lenition and how often modernized strategies are used to indicate lenition. Modernized uh, strategies means most commonly the use of the spiritus asper or of the letter H, but there are other strategies as well. In the statistical table, I've color-coded the relative frequencies of the retained Old Irish spelling of BDG. Black means 100%, that means all instances of the letter are written according to the Old Irish practice in, the text, in that text. The different shades of gray down to white indicate steps of 10%. White means that only 40 to 49% of all instances conform with the old practice. So, 
First of all, there are a few texts that show a surprisingly high conformity with spelling practices that we associate with older middle, early Middle Irish, having rates of over 90% in all, or almost all of these three letters. And 90 or 95 or 96% actually in many cases means a single example. Most prominent among them is Echterchonle, but Verba Skartige, Balechunchetchatig, and the quarrel between Finn and Oshin also belonged in this category that I would call the conservative group. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we find Imraf Bran. Um, only about half of its instances of V are written with a B. In the other, instances, uh, uh, in the other cases, it is written BH or does even crazier things, such as writing V or VH. It does a bit better with Linaidit D and G, whose frequencies are in the low 80s. The only other texts that approximately share this spelling behavior are Kompat Konkullen, which follows immediately, and Forves Verwalre, towards the end of the block. I want to call this the B group, because they are particularly innovative with regards to Linaidit B. They're also the only tales that make use of the spellings V and VH to any appreciable degree. This contrasts with the G group. They are fairly conservative with, with regard to B, but they love to put spiritus over the Linaitid Gs. These are most notably the four Mongan tales, which are all fairly uniform in their behavior, but the long Audacht Moren and the short Torral Vrinna are also part of the G group, the latter most emphatically. So, what does this very checkered picture mean? Quite honestly, I have no clue. Almost all of these texts are written by a single scribe, namely A, with just a tiny portion written by Torna. So the differences in orthographic practice cannot reflect the scribal habits of different scribes. I can think of two or three scenarios to account for the state of affairs, but I'm unable to make a definite statement at the moment. If we start from the working hypothesis that all Kindromaschnechte texts in 23 and 10 were copied from a single source, that adhered to a more or less uniform spelling system, we cannot escape the conclusion that scribe A deliberately changed his spelling principles from one text to another, or perhaps from one day to the next. The alternative is that the texts are taken from a variety of sources, which already differed in their spelling systems. The downside to this hypothesis is that it undermines the centerpiece of the evidence for Kindermaschnechte. If 23 and 10 got its tales from multiple sources, the overlap in the tale lists in 23 and 10 and Edgeton 88 could just be due to chance. In the final part of my talk, I will make some preliminary observations about a tale that is contained in 23 and 10, but which has always remained on the margins of the Kindromaschnechte lists. This silence is to a good part due to a general lack of interest in this text. But the text deserves more attention, and this is a small step towards writing and very old wrong. I'm speaking of the text that has been published under the name The Quarrel of Finn and Oshin. The lack of an Irish title in all three manuscript sources that have it may have contributed to its neglect. In the run-up to this conference, it has been mooted that the manuscript with only a sterile shelf number cannot be felt to be a truly important manuscript. Therefore, we should uh, henceforth call the Book of Bellicumen what was hitherto known as 23 and 10. Likewise, I think a medieval Irish tale, in order to be taken seriously, needs to have a proper Irish title. Therefore, I propose to call this text Agaldaf Ind Agus Osheni. The text consists of a, pre, uh, of a brief prose introduction to set the scene. Find 
is searching all Ireland for his son Oshine, who's been missing for a year because of a grudge he holds against his father. Finally, Find finds him in the wilderness and attacks him. There's nothing better to do when he finds his son. Uh, before they join weapons, they hold a conversation or quarrel in 16 alternating quatrains. In the end, they recognize each other and make peace. So really hot stuff. Agaldov Indagus Osheni has been edited once by Kuno Meyer. Vernon Hull devoted a squib in 1942 to a textual problem. Since then, the tale is most notable for being ignored in volumes about the Fenian tradition, aside from the merest mention. As far as I could find, the only one who has treated the text for its own merits is Kevin Murray, who very recently discussed the tale from the point of view of its central motive, the conflict between father and son. Mercier and Kause make passing reference to its comic elements, while Murphy is more circumspect in this opinion. The final word on the tale's humor, however, is due to the characteristically caustic uh, Donoghue O'Coroin, who, in his catalog of Irish literature, commented that Maya believes that it is a burlesque treatment of the motive of Sohrab and Brustam, but the humor is not apparent. He has a point there. Even for me, the most memorable features of this text are its grammatical problems. For the present topic, the central question is whether plausible arguments exist for Agaldov Indagus Osheni, uh, that uh, Agaldov Indagus Osheni was part of Kindrum Schnechti or not. Tuanaisen raised this question briefly in 1912, but dismissed it immediately as unlikely. He pointed out that in its manuscripts, the tale does not occur together with other keen texts, except for 23 and 10, where it follows Audacht Moren. While today it is usually assumed that Audacht Moren stood in Kindrumerschnechte, Tuneisen was very skeptical of this idea. Seamus McMahuna uh, thought that Finn Agus Oshene is a particularly strong candidate for inclusion in Kindrumerschnechte, but he left it at that isolated statement. Significantly, Kevin Murray, in a very recent publication, does not mention the tale in a list of Kindrumerschnechte texts from 23 and 10. This is, as far as you can tell, the entire scholarly discourse about this problem. As regards style and subject matter, Agaldev Indagus Osheni would blend in well with other Kindermerschnechte texts. Fenian matter is famously alluded to in the canonical Keen corpus, namely in the Mongan tale with the programmatic title, Tale from which it is inferred that Mongan was Finn Makul. Several, keen, several canonical Keen texts are, for the largest or for the entire part, metrical, or are, like our Agaldev, preceded by a very brief prose introduction that serves as a very rough orientation for the reader. In several of the canonical texts, the author does not seem to be overly concerned with providing clarity to the reader about the narrative context. All of this is basically true for Agaldov as well, but none of this provides a definite proof. A crucial factor lies in the date of the tale's language. There can be no doubt that it is Old Irish, but previous assessments of the question range from the early 8th century, which would allow an inclusion in Kindermaschnechte, to the 9th century. Its partly corrupt transmission, together with Maya's less than perfect edition, do not help to resolve the matter. I am myself far from uh, a full understanding of the text, having only recently started to engage with it. I will therefore limit myself to a few preliminary comments. The first thing to note is that although Maya entitled it the quarrel between Finn and Oshin, the young hero is nowhere called Oshin in the text. He is consistently referred to as Oshene. This is indeed what we expect for an old Irish text. The name suffix in is of very late appearance in Irish. It probably came into use in Middle Irish, and it is possibly a loan from Latin, 
by a name such as Augustinus or Martinus. I'm using here uh, for the chart the data from the Annals of Ulster for the years 554 to 951, assembled by Fang Jiechu for the Kronhip project. The chart shows that in those 400 years, the suffix variants enye in green and en in yellow completely dominate the scene. En and enye are only those tiny peaks here at the bottom in red and in, I don't know what the other, uh, blue. Uh, but even these peaks are misleading. They belong to the names Alpine and Elfine, names of rulers from Britain, ultimately going back to Latin Alpinus. What this chart tells us is that there are no native Irish names with the suffix recorded before the end of the 9th century, at least not in the Annals of Ulster. However, it doesn't help us in narrowing down the date of Agildov Innagus Oshene, because the form Oshene for Finn would have been used throughout this whole period. Uh, leaving aside lines uh, that I still struggle to understand, most rhymes are compatible with a classical Old Irish date. But I've identified two problematic rhymes that I have to mention. The first one occurs in the second couplet of Quatrain 6. So what you see there is what can most likely be amended on the basis of the rather divergent manuscript readings, which are best preserved in 23 and 10. And it's the second, uh, the second half. Is alt a hirnan, or maybe a hian, troche, frihareth in the orwarte. His tune of doom is inauspicious in the face of the young warriors. Troche must be a genitive singular of the Yastem abstract troche, doom. Its rhyming word, orgwarte, must also be a genitive, namely of the collective noun orgwarte, young men, young warriors. Like its semantically similar sibling, sibling orgloch, young warrior, it is originally a feminine astem, but because of the inherent tension between its grammatical gender and the biological sex of its reference, its inflection alternates with masculine ostems from the earliest period. The difficulty here is that the ending of orgwathe is clearly that of a feminine astem genitive, but the manuscripts unambiguously agree on the masculine article ind. The only parallels for this unusual behavior that I could find belong to the feminine abstract kerd, craft, that can also refer concretely to the craftsman. Idil contains three examples of the genitive singular in kerda, probably to be read in kerda, which is ostensibly the feminine ending accompanied by a masculine article. None of the examples of these three examples appear to be old. They all seem to belong to, the, to Middle Irish at the earliest. However, since this extraordinary syntactic behavior, namely the gender mismatch between article and noun, uh, is certainly due to analogy triggered by the tension between gender and sex, it could have arisen at any time uh, and does not really narrow down the time frame for our text. Alternatively, we could read the genitive singular of, the, of a masculine eustem, orgwotha, but this would entail to read the genitive of troche as trocha, with loss of the, the, the e-vocalism. However, there is no certain attestation elsewhere of orgwoth as a eustem. For this reason, I prefer the grammatically unusual solution ind orgwotha. A similar problem besets the first couplet of Quatrain 11. Here the rhyme is created between, uh, by, by Imale and Garvliche. Schliche is also a feminine jastem, which means that the form ending in E looks like a genitive. But like in the case of Orgwathe, there is an unambiguously masculine article before it. Here, however, no recourse can be taken to the tension between gender of the word and sex of the referent. And so I'm hesitant to adopt the same solution as before. 
The only remaining alternative is to read IN, not as the article, but as the preposition E followed by nasalization. But in this case, the ending is wrong because it should be E in standard Old Irish. The rhyme between Imale and dative Garfliche uh, catapults the composition of this tale probably into the 9th century. The last thing I want to discuss has again uh, to do with orthography. In a few instances, 23 and 10, and only 23 and 10 of the three manuscripts of this tale, uses the letter E or E for words of the normal structure A. Uh, there's the possessive, the, uh, uh, the uh, relative pronoun, and the, uh, the preposition A out of. Etymologically, all three words may actually have had the vocalism E in archaic Old Irish. So their appearance in this text could be a sign of truly great age. This extremely exciting possibility is, however, put into perspective by the fact uh, that E also occurs for E in evedvum, vedvum, in exertion, and inche for inchi, the one, and in dend for dond, to that. In addition, we find word internal E for AI in a number of words. Having checked about a quarter of the whole manuscript, I've not been able to find a parallel for any of these spellings elsewhere in 23 and 10. Therefore, it seems unlikely to me that they are due to the whim of, scri uh, of scribe uh, A. Perhaps they're derived from an old Irish manuscript that used a deviant, non-classical type of, of, of orthography. Romanos Bulatovas has informed me uh, that such spellings are actually common in the copy of the Monastery of Tala that he's studying for his PhD. If anyone could direct me to other examples, I would be very grateful. My suspicion is that Agald of Indagus Osheni originates from a manuscript tradition that is different from 23 and 10's Kindromaschnechte tales. With this, I come to a conclusion. Did Agald of Indagus Osheni form part of the King collection? Its theme and style are in line with what we might expect from a Kindromaschnechte text. However, the rhyme Imale Garfliche is incompatible with an early Old Irish date and puts the text on a different chronological layer from the canonical Keen texts. Also, its unusual orthographical practices speak for a manuscript tradition that was separate from the other Keen texts. For these reasons, I conclude that Agaldaf Indagus Osheni did not form part of Kindromaschnechte, which does not mean that it wouldn't merit more attention. Thank you very much.